following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. in John chapter 6 they set out from Elam and all the congregation and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin which is between Elam and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt and the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness and the people said to them Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, When the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling that you grumble against him, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but it is against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, They looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. In the evening quail came up and covered the camp, and in the morning dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine, flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. And when the people saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. And then looking in John chapter 6, Jesus uh, answered and said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, You are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him the God of Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. 
Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Um, all of the Old Testament, of course, points to, Je- points to Jesus. Uh, but this is one of the few places, or one of the actually many places, where Jesus explicitly makes the connection. So we look at this passage. I want to um, really kind of mix those two passages together and from the very beginning see how Jesus is the perfect fulfillment of what it means to be the bread of heaven. Um, this is the second of three accounts uh, you could call them uh, the grumbling accounts. It was tempting to call this series Grumbling. I decided I'd try to be a little more positive, so hence God's grace is enough. But what's interesting is each account, the people grumble and complain against God. And every time God responds to their grumbling um, and lack of faith with gracious, abundant provision, uh, he, they're convinced God has forgotten them. Um, each time God shows them that he is very much caring for them. Um, but we want to look at, uh, of course, what it meant for them and what God does here, but also as we go through this to just see what does it mean for Jesus to be our bread of life? What does it mean for him to be our bread from heaven? And uh, how does he sustain us? How does he fill us and satisfy our hunger? Uh, so let's kind of dive in. First, uh, First point we want to look at is what are we hungry for? Anybody here hungry this morning? The the little muffins downstairs were not enough. Maybe not. What are you hungry for? Um, count starts off in in verse one. It says they set out from Elam. They uh, they and all the congregation, the whole people who came to the wilderness of sin between Elam and Sinai. We have no idea where those places are. There's all kinds of theories. The the significant point, though, is they are out in the middle of a a serious wilderness. Um, The emphasis is here not so much the exact place, but it's a wilderness. And what that meant, it was was an uninhabited place. Not a lot of cities, uh, probably very few villages, probably very few people. Um, And it says that this was on the 15th day of the second month. And if you're keeping track this means it's exactly one month after they left Egypt. So one month, four weeks have gone by, and it's long enough that certainly their, their stores of food were running out. Uh, they're getting down to crumbs, and they're going deeper and deeper into this wilderness, this barren, empty landscape. And regardless of where it is, uh, we know that the whole region uh, that constitutes the Sinai Peninsula was... It was a very barren, stark desert where there was nothing, very, very little. Uh, perhaps enough to graze a limited uh, sheep and cattle, but certainly no thriving market areas where they could go stock up on food for several tens of thousands of people. And, and they're starting to realize, they're starting to put this together, right? Uh, they thought they were going from Egypt right to the promised land, this land flowing with milk and honey. It appears that it's going to take... Uh, a little longer than they expected. They're out of food, and they're, they're seeing that the prospects for grocery shopping are very slim. No macro, no big C, no 7-Eleven, and, uh, and they're getting hungry. 
Um, and so they're, they're panicking. They begin to grumble and complain. They, they begin to see in their minds that they're going to starve to death. Um, and what's interesting in all this is with the, all three of these accounts is that God, does, God knows their need, right? God knows they have to have food. God knows they have to have water. But God intentionally waits until they are starving to death. It's one of God's favorite strategies that I just love, right? Um, he could have met, he could have sent the bread from heaven long before this. He could have said, I've got you covered. But he intentionally waits until they understand the desperation of their situation. Um, it's, it's how God works. And the reason he works that way is that, um, he wants us to be fully aware of how desperately we need him. Right? Uh, you see, when God, when God meets our need ahead of time, we can mistakenly believe and become, start to think that, that we're the ones who have it covered. Right? That, that we can work this out. That it's by our, our skill, our good pre-planning, our preparation. It's like, oh yeah, we, we had this figured out all along, right? But it's when we come into barren desert places where there, where there is such great lack that we start to become aware of our own helplessness and really the, the, the great reality that God alone can provide. And certainly that's exactly where Israel was. They were in a place where they were going, there's absolutely nothing we could do here to fix our problem. We can't stop and plant you know, crops. We don't have time and there's no water. Uh, we can't just go find food. Uh, we can't go find... We're, we're in a place where we are helpless. Uh, sadly, what they did not realize is that the only one who could help them was God. Um, and, and this is the way God works. Uh, and, and there's many different kinds of barren places. Chances are most of us are not going to end up out in some Sinai desert um, without food. None of us are that, you know, foolish. Well, most of us, some of us might be, but most of us wouldn't do that, right? We're, we're not going to intentionally put ourselves in that place. Um, but there's all kinds of deserts, all kinds of barren places, all kinds of ways that God can bring us to a place of realizing our helplessness and our need for Him. There's uh, material deserts where we, you know, we run into financial hardship and and it's just not enough money, right? There's just not enough material resources to meet our daily needs. Uh, there are emotional barren places where we feel depression or anxiety or just this huge sense of hopelessness. There are relationship deserts where we feel loneliness, where we are distanced from friends, where we are straining under the pain of strained and broken relationships. Uh, there are physical deserts, physical barren places where we encounter illness and sickness and disease and even death. Um, why does God not only allow us to, to drift into those places, but actually oftentimes God intentionally leads us into those places? Um, you know, The people were grumbling because they thought Moses had made a wrong turn and they grumbled against Moses because they thought, Moses, you got us lost. What were you thinking? Moses is going, hey, I'm just following God. I am not the tour guide here. God's the tour guide. You've got to blame him. And God intentionally directed them, led them into a place of crisis because that's how God works. It's how he teaches us. It's how he shows us our need for him. Uh, in verse 6 it says, And so Moses and Aaron said to all the people 
At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out. Right? Don't, don't blame us. The Lord did this. Uh, and in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. Uh, here's his first lesson to, to learn. Are you in a desert place? Are you in a barren place? Are you struggling with something? Don't fall into the temptation of thinking it's because somewhere you made a wrong turn. Now, you may have made a wrong turn. I've gotten to lots of barren places because I've made foolish choices. But God's let those things come into your life. And on top of that, there's a lot of times we end up in barren places because we follow God. As a direct result of our faithfulness and our obedience, God brings us into places of great difficulty. Don't grumble, right? Don't get angry saying, God, I followed you because I was sure if I followed you, you would make everything work. You ever think that, right? And if I followed you, there wouldn't be problems. And God's saying, well, you were wrong. Right? I'm sorry you were mistaken. But there's important things I want to teach you by taking you into barren places where you must trust me. But don't make the mistake of Israel. Instead of trusting, instead of grumbling, trust him. Right? Instead of worrying, say, I know I'm exactly where God wants me because this is a great place to identify and, and proclaim my great helplessness but God's all-sufficiency, God's ability to take care of things. Um, another problem that we see is um, not only were they grumbling against God, but they were craving the wrong things. And there were really two things that they were hungry for that, that were a sign of their lack of trust in God and their confusion about what this was all about. First thing, they craved their old life. It says in verse 2, The whole congregation of the people grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people said to them, Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord uh, in Egypt when we sat by meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. And I, I, I love this. Um, they're thinking here. Kind of the logic they're, they're applying here is that um, you know, it's way better to, to, to it's, it's better to die full than, empty, than starving, right? We're, we're going to die anyway, so we'd rather die full. And uh, they crave and long for their old life. Um, instead of understanding that God brought them to this place to teach them, to grow them in their faith, uh, they begin to look with their old life of slavery in Egypt with longing. Right? They started craving their old life because uh, they and probably you know they forgot the bad stuff and they probably exaggerated the good stuff and they they remembered sitting around I love their description sitting around our pots of meat you know big boiling pots of meat and if you've ever been really hungry you know how even even the worst food all of a sudden starts to sound really good right and everything just sounds better and you start drooling over thoughts of like a McDonald's hamburger right it's kind of how it works and so they're they're remembering with great fondness. Uh, their life back in Egypt. Um, and really, this is at the root of every temptation to sin. Right? This is where we get ourselves in trouble. God has redeemed us, us as believers, if we're followers of Jesus. He's redeemed us from bondage to sin. We were like the Israelites. We were held captive, but not in Egypt. We were held captive to our own sin and our own evil desires. And Jesus has set us free from that, 
free from sin's control over our life by His own blood, by His own death on the cross. Uh, But what happens like Israel as God leads us, we find ourselves in these barren desert places where things get hard. Um, In order to give us a greater hunger and longing for Him, But we confuse that hunger and longing for Him for a hunger that we think sin can satisfy better. Right? And we think, oh, back when I was a sinner, you know, I was never hungry like this. Maybe if I go back to that old lifestyle, if I go back to those former sins, you know, I will feel satisfied. I will feel filled and and taken care of. Um. And so it's a serious temptation and, and it's, it's a serious sign that we lack faith that God knows how to take care of us. Um, so that was one problem. They wanted to go back to their old life because uh, they were convinced that God would not take care of them. The old way would be better. Second thing, uh, they were craving things that would not last. Now this doesn't come out of, out of Exodus, but actually out of John. Let's jump over to John chapter 6, verse 26. Jesus says this as he's speaking with the Jewish people about um, their understanding of Moses and the bread from heaven and the manna. And uh, the context of John chapter 6 is Jesus had just fed the the, the 4,000, fed the multitude uh, on the mountainside. He, uh, in the middle of the night, came back, walked across the water, uh, across the Sea of Galilee, back to Capernaum. And the crowds chase after him. And they're following him because they want another free meal, right? They're, think, they're thinking this Jesus dude is pretty good. Like wherever he goes, he feeds people, and it's free. And they're like they're liking this, and so uh, they want they want Jesus to feed them again. And Jesus is aware of that. And he says, "You're only really, you're only really interested in the bread, right? You're only really interested in free lunch, but that's not the point." And he says in verse 26, "Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs." But because you ate your fill of the loaves, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. And the point for us is this. It's super easy, super easy to get so caught up in our material, physical needs that we completely lose track of the deep spiritual needs of our life. Jesus says, you're worried about temporary things. You're worried about bread. Don't you see the state and condition of your soul? He says, your, your, your physical body, the, the bread you eat, it's all temporary. Right? It's a superficial need. Your, your real need is much deeper and more significant than that. Uh, you are an eternal being, and it's the needs of your heart and your soul, your spiritual needs that you need to be paying attention to. Um, and certainly that would have been true for the Israelites as well. They were missing uh, what God was trying to teach them about their spiritual life and about their walk with Him because they were so worried about their food for the day. Now granted, in all fairness, if you've ever been really, really hungry, uh, the food for the day can be a pretty big deal, right? But if it's a big deal, how much more significant is the need of our eternal soul? And so, uh, let's not miss that. So, so, so uh, in verse 4 it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you. And again, uh, the people grumble. 
God responds with this amazing grace. He is patient. He is kind. He wants to teach them uh, really how faithful he is and how able he is to take care of their needs. Um, and what's significant about this, the water uh, in the last account, the water was for a day. Um, then he led them to another place where there was more water. But this begins a 40-year supply of bread. Right? So we know that it's not just a one-day solution. God's about to give them a very long-term solution to their food need as they wander through the wilderness. Um, and he provides what they need to live. This gift is really the gift of life. And it's what will sustain them as they go through the desert. Um, and what's significant here is that God shows them that he can and will take care of them. Right? God is not going to let them starve to death. He is going to fulfill his promise to bring them to the promised land. And he's going to sustain them and uphold them and provide for them every step of the way. Um, do we live with confidence that God's going to take care of your physical needs? Right? One of the reasons we don't really need to worry about our physical needs is not because they're not important, but because God's already taken care of it. And really one of the lessons here when it comes to our physical needs, when it comes to food and drink, um, God in his grace has supplied this not just for the Israelites, not just for Christians, but we see God's faithfulness in providing for his all, all of his creation. Right? God doesn't just feed Christians. <laughs> Right? Praise God, He is a God of generosity and kindness towards everybody. Right? So if He feeds the whole world, uh, is He going to feed you? I think so. I think He's going to take care of you, right? He's going to meet and take care of our physical needs. It's one of, his, one of His most sure and certain promises. So Jesus says this in Matthew 6, Don't be anxious saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. He knows what you need. Every need. He knows it. And because He knows it, He's committed to taking care of you. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Praise God, we, we do not need to worry about uh, our daily provision. Now, what some of us worry about is not our daily provision, but maintaining our current lifestyle. Okay, Worry about that all you want, right? because I'm not so sure God's guaranteeing that to you. And uh, if that's an issue for you, then, then that's a different issue. Okay, That's a, it's called idolatry or something like that. right? Uh, but, but surviving, right? I'm, I'm telling you right now, none of you are going to starve to death. I'm just telling you. I think you're good on that one. God's going to take care of you. He's going to provide those basic needs. Uh, and he will do it uh, abundantly. All right, so what's, what's, what's interesting in this story is not only the, that God does provide, which he does, and he, he shows his faithfulness to meet their needs, but it's, it's very interesting the way he provides. Right? God does this in a way that's really quite genius in the whole manna, the whole bread coming down thing. Um, and he shows that he's going to provide for them, but he's going to pro provide for them in a way that is very much a daily bread kind of thing. right? And it's very different from the way they were used to doing life. And they were, they were essentially farmers. They were slaves. They were bricklayers. But before that, they were shepherds. They were farmers. They were ranchers. 
And uh, they, this is how they lived life. Uh, and this is how life worked in, in the Middle East. Now, this would not be true in Thailand so much, but in, in dry desert seasonal places, the way it worked is you planted a crop, and uh, when the weather was good and when the water was available, and you would harvest that crop, and you needed to make sure that you had enough crop, enough harvest to last you for the whole rest of the year. And so I remember when I first came to Thailand, being a Westerner, being from this kind of lifestyle, storing things is very important to us. So we store food, we store our clothes, we store everything. And closets and big refrigerators is is like a big deal for us. And so uh, when we were first living here, well, even now, you know, we're good at storing things. And um, our Thai friends would come visit us and they would laugh at our big refrigerators and laugh at all of our shelves. And they would go, what's wrong with you people, right? It's like, well, what if we run out? And they go, well, you know, at the market, there's food every day, right? You don't have to. It's, it's going to be every day. You can just go. You don't have to store it. It's okay, right? That's not our thinking. Well, that's, that's very much how they thought, right? You've got to store it. You've got to keep it. You've got to have it, right? Otherwise, you're going to starve to death. And God says, here's the deal. I'm going to give you such an amazing, abundant, bountiful supply. You can't even imagine how much I'm going to give you. A bountiful supply. Uh, verse 4, he says, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you, and you will go out uh, and gather a day's portion every day so that I may test them whether they may walk in my law or not. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rain it down on you. Uh, raining bread from heaven, enough to feed this massive army of people. Right? Um, in the same way, God in Jesus, as our bread of life, gives us abundant supply in Jesus. Uh, and what Jesus means when he says he's the bread of life, he doesn't mean he's like a snack. Right? This is not a tiny little communion cracker. You know? And it's really sad that in our modern day we can't celebrate communion like, like it should be with an all-out feast. Because part of the picture is he is enough, more than enough. He's not a little sample. He's the, the whole thing. Uh, he says in verse 34, Jesus, now I'm switching back to John. Jesus says in verse 34, uh, the the people said to him, Sir, give us this bread always, this, this bread you're talking about. And Jesus answered them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall never hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So again, it's a picture of Jesus in his abundance. Uh, his work on the cross is more than enough to cover all my sins. Praise God, we will never sin one day, and God says, Oh my goodness, I just ran out. The blood of Jesus just ran out, and I can no longer extend grace and forgiveness to you. Praise God, we will never hear that, right? No matter how much we sin, no matter how much we mess up, no matter how horrible our past was, Jesus' blood covers it all. And it covers it all, all at once. Right? God does not ration out His blood. It's generous, it's effective, it's complete. On the cross, He dealt with our sin completely, Forgiving it 100%, making us holy and clean before God, so that there is nothing for us to do. Right? There's nothing to add to it. So when you sin, and you 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 are convicted of that sin, and you go before God and you repent, you say, God, I'm I'm sorry. I confess that I have wronged you. I've done what I know is sinful. Um, John, first John 1 John 1.9 says that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin. That means 
The whole thing. So if you go out and they say, okay, God, I'm going to, since, you know, I sin and I feel guilty, I'm going to, I'm going to serve you extra hard. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to get up a whole hour early and read my Bible, right? Don't do that, right? I mean, you can get up and read your Bible an hour early. That's good. But don't do it because you're trying to add to Jesus' atonement, right? Don't go out and do good deeds because you feel guilty. Because there's nothing you can do to add to what Jesus has done. It's abundant, bountiful, complete. Um, John 6.35, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall not thirst. Um, How do we appropriate this bread, right? Uh, Verse 51 kind of throws people off. And and in this section, I don't read the whole thing, but Jesus talks about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. Kind of a horrific image. And uh, Jesus certainly meant it to be a bit shocking. Um, Some people uh, relate this to communion. And communion is certainly a picture of this, but communion is not the thing. Right? We don't need to eat communion. We don't receive God's grace by taking communion, unless you're Catholic. And then they, they do believe that, but that was a whole part of the whole Protestant thing. Is we believe, no, uh, His grace comes through another way. It comes through faith alone. Right? So how do we actually eat Jesus' flesh? How do we eat this bread that is Jesus? That is in such abundance and fullness and completeness. Verse 51 says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. Well, the wording is parallel to verse 35, where he says, whoever comes to me shall not hunger. So for us, we don't actually eat Jesus' body. We don't actually drink his blood. But it's a picture that when we come to him in faith and trust in his saving work, he feeds us. He meets our need for cleansing and salvation and forgiveness. Um. It is also a picture of Jesus giving up his flesh, his body, dying in our place. Uh, as, as he says, uh, the bread that I will give uh, and the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Right? It's this picture of Jesus giving his, his flesh, his body, his bread broken for us. Um, so we come to him in faith and that's how we receive this life-giving bread that is in him. And it's abundant. It's complete. Um, If you put your faith in Jesus, you stand before God today fully saved. You're not like almost saved. You're like almost there. God sees you holy and blameless in His sight. Um, So, on the one hand, God's provision is boundless and infinite. But it's also... It also comes in very limited portions, right? Boundless, endless, right? But in very limited portions. Uh, Jesus says, tells Moses, Behold, I'm about to rain down bread from heaven, and the people shall go out and shall gather a day's portion every day. Right? Endless, endless supply, but you only get a day's worth at a time. Uh, gather each of it, each one of you as much as he can eat. You shall take an omer according to the number of persons that each of you has in his tent. So here's how it's going to work. You're going to go out with a jar, a, a one omer jar, about two liters. And for every person in your household, you can collect one jar full. So four people in your house. How many jars? Four. Okay, now the Israelites didn't actually get this, all right? But just checking to make sure you're following me because they didn't, right? Three people, three jars. Pretty simple. And he said, and, the, and so the people did so. 
They gathered some more, some less, according to the number in their house. And Moses said to them, let no one leave it, any of it, till morning. Right? So you only get a day's worth. At the end of the day, you're not going to store it. You're not going to put it in the refrigerator. You're not going to can it. You're not going to pickle it. You're not going to ferment it. You're not going to keep it. You're not going to freeze dry it. Okay? You're going to throw it away. These are Jewish people we're talking about here, right? They don't throw things away. <laughs> right? It's a crisis. They get a day's supply, right? And uh, by the way, they didn't follow it, and it, it got maggots, and it stank, it rotted, right? You couldn't keep it. You get one day's supply at a time. Uh, so it is with Jesus. It's true, we get Jesus uh Without end or limit, his salvation is complete. Our cleansing and forgiveness is is whole. But at the same time, salvation is a day-by-day thing. Right? We need a portion of Jesus daily. We need our daily bread. And I really believe that praying for our daily bread means that God would supply our physical needs day-by-day, which, by the way, uh, sometimes he gives us a supply that lasts more than a day, but oftentimes he wants us to be in a place where we do have to depend on him daily for for those provisions. Uh, but more importantly, we need daily doses of Jesus. Right? He's our daily bread. We need to to daily come and and be nourished and fed and filled with him. Um, sure, he he's cleansed all our sin, but we also need daily cleansing. We need daily to come and confess the things that I've done today that have offended him, that are sinful, that are wrong. Uh, I need daily um, healing. I need God to minister to the brokenness of my soul and spirit daily. Because, uh, you know, he healed me yesterday, but when I woke up today, I'm broken again. Uh, I still am struggling with things again. And even though he assured me of his love and grace and forgiveness yesterday, today... I forget. Today I doubt it again. And so daily we need to be reminded. We need daily doses of His transforming power. Because here's the deal, no matter how successful you've been in the Christian life, no matter how much you have achieved holiness, the fact that you walked on water yesterday, amen, praise God that you're there. But guess what? Today is a new day and you can step out of the boat and sink like a rock, right? You don't get to store it up, right? All, all your righteousness does not get to store it up. Every day is a new day of new decisions, right? And that's why it's so easy to mess up. It's like yesterday I had this down. I was like, I was like me and Jesus, we were like right on it. And today I'm like such a jerk, right? And I say things that hurt people and I'm like, oh God, how is that possible? Because we need Him every day, right? We start new every day. And before us every day is the choice to follow Him in obedience, empowered by His Holy Spirit, or to walk and live in the flesh. We need Him every day. Um, uh, Third thing, the way it works. Uh, It's very interesting that uh, Jesus... uh, God, as Moses and and God, uh, throughout this series, God provides with each provision. He says, I give you a law and a test. 
Right? That was true of the water, and it's true again here. He says, I'm going to give you a law to test you. Verse 4, Behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven. People shall go out and gather a day's portion every day so that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. And the word there for law is the Hebrew word, word Torah, which kind of capsules, encapsulates the whole law. And we'll see in a couple chapters as God gives the, the big law. Um, verse 21, morning by morning they gathered it, each as much as he could eat. Uh, but when the sun grew hot, it melted. Right? So th- these are, these are not commands in the sense of what you, like this is not a moral thing, but it's law in the sense of this is how it's gonna work. He's kind of explaining, this is the way it is. This is the way it is. I'm gonna rain down bread, and the sun come up, it's gonna melt. So a corollary of this law is, if you wanna eat, you gotta get up early. Right? You wait till lunch to gather it, it'll be a long day, cause uh, there's not going to be any food for you, right? Is, is this like a, a command that's just arbitrary and random? No, guys are saying that this is the way it's going to work, right? It's the law of the way things are. Uh, the law of gathering. Verse 16, the Lord commanded, right? And again, this is not an arbitrary kind of random command, but it's instructions about how it's going to be. He says, gather it, each one of you, as much as you can eat. Uh, each take an omer according to the number of people in your tent, right? A jar for each person. And the people did so. And Moses said to them, let no one leave it over till evening. Okay, this is how it's going to work. Uh, but they didn't listen. Some left part of it till morning and it bred worms and it stank and Moses was angry with them. Uh, God gave them a law about, he explained to them simply how it's going to work. Right? They were not arbitrary laws, but they were laws intended to test them. Um, and the test was really uh, came down to the proof of their faith. It means that God said, this is the way things are. This is the way it's going to work. Do you believe that I know what I'm talking about? Well, if you believe that God knows what he's talking about, you're not going to sleep in if you want, if you want food. right? You're going to set your alarm for 6 o'clock. You're going to get up. You're going to get out there before the sun melts it all off. right? Uh, because you believe God knows what he's talking about. So why did they not pay attention? Why did some of them ignore what God said? Well, it's easy. They didn't believe that God knew what he was talking about. right? Well, sure, God says we can't keep it tomorrow, but who's God to tell me what to do? right? I'll keep it if I want. I'm going to do it my way, not God's way. What happened? Well, they had maggots for breakfast. Ooh, yummy. right? Love those maggots. Um, It doesn't work, right? You see, when we want to do things our own way, when we, when we look at God's commands, God's instructions, we think, well, God doesn't know how it really works. I know how it really works. Maybe that's how it works for everybody else, but that's not how it works for me. I know it works for me, and I don't need God telling me what to do because I know how things work for me. And it's not only disregarding his commands, it's disbelieving his heart and his knowledge that God knows how things work and he loves us enough to tell us how things work for our good and our benefit. Um, If we have faith in Jesus, if we have received his saving work to cover our sin and our obedience, our, our disobedience, 
then we ought to believe fully that God, that Jesus knows what he's talking about and not say, God, I've got a better way. Why is this so hard? Well, because it was so contrary to their nature, right? They were gatherers. They were storers. They were people who were all about canning <laughs> uh, and keeping, right? And this was in every way contrary to their nature. It made no sense to them. Honestly, do all of God's commands make sense to us? No, right? A lot of God's commands make no sense to us. And that's why we don't want to follow or believe them. Because we think, well, you know, it's, our culture is different, right? God doesn't understand the culture. You know, God wrote that a long time ago. He doesn't know how things have changed in the modern world. And it makes no sense anymore. We think we have a better way. Um, but the truth is that much of what God tells us to do is, uh, is contrary to our logic. Jesus said, if you want to be great, be the servant of all. You have heard it said, love your friends, but I tell you, love your enemies. He who saves his life will lose it. But he who loses his life for my sake will, will have it, will save it. Um, so many ways to look at this in our world, but probably the simplest, I'll use it, is just the whole area of, of, of sexuality, right? Uh, God says, I preserved sex and I made it for um, marriage relationship. But people say, well, I could have sex before marriage, right? It's not a big deal. I know what's best, right? God doesn't know what I need. I'll do it my own way. And God doesn't prohibit this from us because he's a grumpy old man who doesn't want us to have fun. That's what we think, right? God's just this grouchy old guy who doesn't want us to have fun. He doesn't want us to enjoy things. Um, but notice what God gave them. God gave them uh, quail... And bread, right? These were de- uh, bread from heaven. He describes it as um, uh, like coriander seed white that tastes like wafers made with honey. Wafers made with honey. You know what that is? You know what a wafer made with honey is? It's a Pop-Tart. <laughs> God gave them Pop-Tarts. Every morning they got up and their ground was covered. Right? And, you know, we live in a world where there's sugar everywhere and maybe that doesn't sound so great to us for breakfast. I don't know. I'm personally a fan, but, um, you know, for them, sugar hadn't been, processed sugar wasn't invented yet. One of the few things they could use to sweeten their food was honey, and it was very rare. Right? This was a treasure. Right? This was a, an incredibly rare treat to have Pop-Tarts or cookies or whatever. They're this kind of sweetened bread. All right? This was not just an ordinary, you know... My friends in Esau would appreciate it if God, had, instead of sending quail, if he had sent, like, bugs, right? The ground was covered with bugs. We've got fried bugs. Yay. I know Esau people love that. Most of the rest of us would be thinking, mm, it will sustain life, but it will, yeah, really? i got to get a lot hungrier. Okay, not today. Now he gives them quail, a delicacy. I mean, a, a rare treat, right? Does God want to withhold from us sweet and savory and awesome and delightful, wonderful things? No. His gifts are the best. But He knows how to use them. He knows how it works. And so His laws are just saying, look gang, this is how it works. You don't follow the laws. You grow maggots and it stinks. Bottom line, okay, I'm I'm warning you. 
And it's a test of faith. Do you have faith to believe him? Um, last thing, we'll, we'll close. We're out of time. We'll, we'll quit with this. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a daily gathering, right? There's the law of gathering. And the, the gathering is not the bread. There's a difference, right? The, 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 the exercise of getting up every morning with your little jar and going out there and collecting, and it took some effort, took some work, all right? Um, but that's not the bread. The bread is what you brought back, and you got to eat and enjoy the bread once you've gathered it. No gathering, no bread, right? But the point is not the gathering. The point is what? The bread, right? That was the goal. Uh, Jesus is the bread, Jesus is the goal. Feasting on Him, feeding on Him, being nourished by His life is the goal. How do we feed on Him? Well, it requires some gathering. But the gathering is not the bread. All right, Two separate things, but we won't get the bread if we don't gather. I think it's a great picture how in our life we, we need to have disciplines of gathering. Right? We need to build into our life habits and practices if we are going to feed on Jesus the bread. And the problem is a lot of people, they want Jesus, they want the bread, they know they need that, but they're unwilling to, to, to discipline their life to gather it. Uh, and sometimes people make the mistake of thinking that the gathering is the bread. Like all I have to do is do the gathering. I don't, that's, that's not true. The spiritual disciplines are not the end goal. But there are things required for us if we're going to feast on Jesus. Jesus is the bread. His grace and forgiveness is cleansing. The communion and fellowship that we can have with him. Jesus speaking his word to us to teach us and lead us and encourage us. Encourage us. That, that's his bread. That's what he wants to feed us with. To fill us with his presence. How do we get that? There, I, I believe there's no other way to receive his feeding in our life, his nourishing grace in our life, apart from exercising basic spiritual disciplines. Uh, and, and even in this passage, God gives them a discipline. He says, On the sixth day, gather twice as much bread, two omers for each person. And all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses. Um, and he said to them, This is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Right? Uh, God says, yeah, the bread's important, but you, you, you need spiritual input in your life. You need rest. You need space. You need Sabbath. God is teaching them already. You need to get up early. Right? God is teaching them disciplines. They will need to encounter His grace. Um, you know, are we investing in those disciplines? Are we building Sabbath rest into our life? Uh, is there balance in our life? Is there times of, of for, for Bible study and reflection and meditation and contemplation? Right? Are we memorizing Scripture? Are we have setting aside a times of fasting and prayer? Are we engaged in praise and worship? Are those the bread? No. But without those things, there will be no bread. Right? Uh, those are the ways that we appropriate the life of Jesus, right? the bread of life. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. 
For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.